This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Welcome to A Real Man Wood Podcast. This is Chris Liss, your host, and I'm joined as usual by my co-host, Yahoo Sports, Dalton Del Don. What's going on, man? Do you enjoy your week off from podcasting? I did. Uh, not much. Uh, we didn't even talk about the Super Bowl. Uh, thank you for that payment. Uh, I'm sure you've talked enough about it on XM and whatnot. So uh, not, not, not much has gone on with me, Liss. How, how you been doing? I'm good. I just got back from Rome. We went to Rome this weekend. Ate well and saw some sights. It was chill. It was nice. It really struck me that when you live in a Schengen European country, it's part of the treaty, there's no uh, immigration at all. So you just, it's like flying from LA to Denver or something. It's a little further. It's like about a three hour flight. Get off, get, go to Rome. You're, you're in Rome or you're in Paris or you're in, you know, Berlin and it's super easy. So that was, that was a nice aspect of it. Sounds like uh, fun. Any, so how long were you gone? Just four days. We just uh, pretty much had gelato two times a day. Sasha one day had it three times, actually. She had it with her aunt. She had it with me. And then she had it with Heather and me again. And then she all, you know, she was complaining because we were dragging her around like the Coliseum and the Forum and stuff. And it's a lot of like walking for a kid. And you don't really care about that stuff. You know, it, the, the, the notion that this stuff is 2,000 years old just... It's like cool to her for like one second and then it's just boring. Sure. And I believe you did do a food pick as well, right? On Twitter. I did. Yes, I did. I had a lot more, but I just felt like that one was the, the clams vongola, you know, the, the vongola pasta. It's my favorite, you know, just the, it was gluten-free pasta with clams. You can't really tell it's gluten-free cause it's so good. Garlic. And uh, we had a lot more. I mean, they, you know, pretty much like you eat like a salad or some kind of appetizer artichoke in a salad or some sliced meat and then you have your pasta and then you have your real meat like your oxtail or lamb or steak or whatever so some serious uh serious meals there well it gets a bad rap but i for one appreciate a good food pick so uh i, I liked it and uh yeah good to hear. i don't think uh, it's a, I, don't, I don't think it gets a bad rap man I, my food picks get the most likes right right well i think it does get a bad rap but in reality people do like it so you know i, mean, I do think yes in reality people do do enjoy a good one as long as they don't overdo it i guess on instagram or whatever well i mean you shouldn't like be posting your subway sandwich you know what i mean it's like or just your turkey sandwich or something like that unless it's a, a extremely special turkey sandwich but if you have food that is uniquely good like if you go to lotus of siam or you Go to one of those Chinese restaurants you and I used to go to sometimes, those like authentic Szechuan places. And you post that, like people who know food are like, oh, that looks really good. Like that's, it's, it's something nice in your timeline. You know, it's, it's, it's something that you want to see in, in your timeline. 
Yeah, I agree. I actually do have someone, uh, a Facebook friend. Yes, your Facebook rant. Um, I don't think it's not certainly not a close friend or family. Maybe it's someone who's just a reader, but they post pictures of, of meals like from Taco Bell or fast food chains unironically. I'm telling and I'm <laughs> sure it's unironically. I'm positive it is unless it's the longest game ever because he's doing it serious. And I, I don't know. I appreciate it. So I like being on either spectrum. Actually, I disagree with what you said. I like the real good food or that. I appreciate that being real dead serious about his meal at whatever buffet he had. So I like that as well. But yeah. Um, so he's, he's, he's going to post a picture of his colon screen. when it gets removed in like 15 yeah, years. That, that's the long game. That, that, that real man plays. Man, a re- that's a real man. Long game. <laughs> yeah, it is. But I do, I do. I did like your, your food pick. And I, I for one has been guilty of that myself. Um, what are we talking about first? Sports. It's better than the, it's better than the picks. Yeah. Bezos is sending around. That's for sure. Yeah. That's, uh, it's funny you mentioned that. I was just finishing an article that I believe um, I believe you tweeted out. Before the pot, I go on your Twitter to make sure I didn't miss anything uh, you want to talk about. And you, you tweeted out an article with, with Bezos, and I was just reading it about, you know, the irony of privacy being, you know, him complaining about it being the owner of, of Amazon and all that. And it, was, it was an interesting read. Yeah, you can say what you want about Trump, but he's pretty good at nicknames, and he was calling him Jeff Bozo, which I thought was pretty funny. Nice. Do you have any any updated thoughts on that whole situation? We can get into the whole political stuff. Let's get let's get toward the end of the pod for that. I've got I got a bunch of stuff on that situation. I, I haven't really read all the Inquirer stuff, but but I just thought the nickname was funny. But we'll get we can get into the politics. I got a bunch of stuff just because right. I've been well, jotting down my ideas. Oh, all right. You can start. All thing I was going to write first is football. I like I believe the Broncos' odds worsened today from 100 to one to 125 to one with the trade for Joe Flacco and the the Ravens Ravens odds improved uh, in Las Vegas, which I found pretty funny. But um, let's let's go to your list. Uh, list before well, no, no, no. I, I was if you want to talk about nicknames, Joe Flaccid is uh, now in the Broncos, and I was saying this on the XM show because the news broke while right while we we're doing the show, and I was just like, Flacco sucks. He's always sucked. The year they won the Super Bowl, he had 7.2 YPA, 22 touchdown passes, and 10 picks. I mean, he was pedestrian even at his peak. He didn't even have a peak. I mean, at least Eli in 2011 was good. He was good during the regular season, good during the postseason. Flacco had a three-game peak during the postseason, or maybe four-game peak. That was it. I mean, Flacco's never been good. I mean, Elway is, is revealing himself to be like a... Horrible, yeah. A total lightweight, you know, as, as a GM... He brought in Peyton Manning, and Peyton was hurt, so he kind of bought cheaply and got lucky that he recovered completely. And they actually, you know, only won the Super Bowl because of the defense a couple years later. But trading for Flacco is just—it's insane. Well, not just that Elway might have been overrated, but he might be a flat-out donkey. Like this is just a horrible move. Like I can't even think of a worse move. I, I don't know about contractually. I assume they're not paying him. I think if they, if they, I haven't even looked into that. Have you looked into who's paying this? Well, I I don't think you can get someone else to pay the cap on somebody, can you? In the NFL, can you? I mean, can you have it count against the Ravens' cap and not the Broncos' cap? I don't think it works like that. And I have no clue what John Elway is thinking. That's yeah, that's that's really really bad. And that's I mean, I, honestly, if you if you when they were winning, I mean, that's when they were winning the Super Bowl. He wasn't even elite. I mean, let alone you know five years later when he's had the worst YPA ever since signing the richest contract. I told you he had a seven point. He had a seven point two YPA, twenty two touchdowns and ten picks the year they won the Super Bowl. That was his peak. I don't I, honestly. Gun to my head, Eli versus Flacco. I take Eli for next year. 
Oh yeah, it's a coin flip. Whatever. Yeah, it's a, it's a coin flip. It's really weird, and, and it's not a. Uh, I mean, it makes sense that Vegas's odds literally worsened after the trade. I mean, it's uh, pretty crazy. Um, so what what do you got for me, Liz? Uh, well, you know, we're starting to get into baseball season, and I'm building my cheat sheets and stuff like that. And it's uh, it's been a real headache trying to get these spreadsheets to line up. You know, whenever I try to simulate the real NFBC game via spreadsheet. It's just I find that it's impossible, and I end up having to do like a worse approximation of it than I want to, just to make it credible. And then I'm like, why am I even doing this? I guess in the end, I just end up using the algorithmic projections, like the steamer or the bat, Derek Hardy's one, and I'm just sort of getting what he thinks, what those two algorithmic systems think relative to each other, how the pitchers are and how the hitters are. But in terms of trying to get like absolute dollar values or rankings, it's just. To me, it's, you know, I guess it works like all the pitchers are ranked properly based on their thing or all the hitters are ranked properly. But to mix them, there's always stuff that is just impossible to model. Things like what's really replacement value when you know you're picking up so many players and so many of the guys like end up getting, you know, 100 useful innings that you use for three months and then drop for somebody else. And then things like, you know, the way the relievers are used versus the starters. I think I got that one modeled. But like stolen bases get pushed up in the NFBC. It's really hard to sort of separate out like the baseline for stolen bases is a separate thing that you have to get. So it's, um, I'm still doing it, but I'm, I'm less enthusiastic about it than I was when I started. Um, yeah, I know. I hear you, uh, for, for baseball, I've, uh, I've started a couple draft champions and NFBC leagues and I've, I've done what I told you I was going to, I was going to go really, really hitter heavy and, uh, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. But I've so far, I'm two for two, Doing doing so, I what one of them the one of them through twelve rounds, I took one reliever, and then in this other one through ten rounds, I took zero pitchers. So we'll see, Liz. I told you I was going to do it, and um, I've tried. And my main takeaway is very similar to yours: is I still don't know how to evaluate closers and steals, especially the NFBC format with the overall. So th- those two, I still have the most trouble by far. So I'm, I'm right with you there. Right. Because, because and, and just some background on the NFBC, most people listening understand it, but it's an overall contest. So if there's 500 teams in the main event, well, if you win your little league that you're in, yeah, sure, you get you know some of the money. You get like seven grand for your 1500 but you're not getting enough money for your entry fee. Half of your entry fee is going to the overall $150,000 grand prize and the top 15 or 20 spots that pay. So you have to play for the overall. And the only way to get to, to be in play to win the overall, you have to be strong in every category. So you cannot just leave your draft without steals or without saves or without any category. And so as a result, you know, as opposed to like your normal home league where I don't have a lot of steals, big deal, I can trade for them later or I can just not do that well and still steals and still win my 12-team league or saves or whatever – this, that's just not an option. And you cannot trade for obvious reasons in a high stakes league. So you must do well across the board. And what ends up happening is these scarce categories, there's only 30 guys at any given time that are producing any saves. Those guys get pushed up because you just simply cannot tank saves. You cannot get, you know, a bottom 10 percentile rank in saves and be in the overall money. So it's the same thing with steals. Now the saves I figured out, I just basically modeled it as if Instead of just having nine pitchers, you, can, you have six and a half starters, two and a half relievers. And I separated out the relievers and did their own replacement value, their own baselines. And I think I've got pretty good numbers for the relievers that 
are sort of in line with how the I, NFPC drafts. I think I, think I, I think I caught you this on XM. You talking about this briefly, uh, not all of it, but basically you're saying the, the reason that you shouldn't you shouldn't compare that. Oh, this reliever only gets 95 strikeouts compared to a starter who gets 160 because everyone is going to be rostering at least two relievers theoretically. So you compare them across versus other relievers. So just because the volume might not be there, you are still gaining 30 Ks. Is that kind of the abbreviated version? Yeah, exactly. So if you get a role as Chapman who's projected for like a hundred Ks and the average reliever gets 70 Ks in 65 innings, you're plus 30 Ks. So if you have a 170 strikeout starter like Kyle Hendricks and someone else has a 200 strikeout starter like Aaron Nola, you know, that deficit that you have, you can make that up by getting an elite closer, a hundred strikeout closer. So, you know, you have to compare, you know, you can't compare Chapman to Hendricks and say, well, Chapman's worse for your strikeouts than Hendricks because it's actually the opposite. Hendricks is costing you 30 or maybe he's the baseline or he's 15 below the baseline and Chapman's 30 or so above the baseline for his position. And, and I'm pretending there's an actual position called closer, even though there isn't because that's actually how it's played due to the overall thing in a home league where you don't have to use closers or you could tank saves or you could do different things. Then, then the relievers are worth less and they'll, and they should be drafted lower. So I can convert the relievers numbers decently, I think into the overall pool by doing that. It's the steals that really screw me because what are you going to do? You can't there. It's not like, Oh, this is outfield steel guy versus, you know, I actually create a separate position in my rankings called reliever and pretend that's, that's a required position. Yahoo. It is actually, how do you do that for steals? People can get steals at any position. It's not just 30 guys. It's not like a separate thing. And secondly, you know, some guys get 15 steals, some guys get 40 steals, some guys get 10 steals. You know, where do you draw the line where this is a steals guy, he's a guy, you know, I mean, it's just so, I don't see a good way to model it. I, I don't see a good, I, I could maybe just make steals worth a little bit more, like just bump it up to like 1.2 categories or something like that. But that's really very uh, arbitrary. You know, I'm, it's not rigorous at all. One other thing, really quick, about the relievers with, with strikeouts is if also if you're in a, if you're in an innings caps league, like say the the friends and family's done, then K rate obviously would would help you there. But steals, yeah, I mean, who's who do you think's going to lead the league in steals this year? I mean, Billy Hamilton, the Royals, you know, give him the green light, but it's going to come with they just come with such duds in other categories, including batting average. So I find myself just bumping up on my rankings, Mar- Starling Marte, higher, but. Man, even like Mondesi could bat 220. So I don't know. It's a tough one. And, and often if you're trying to get, get ugly guys late, like say a DeShields or a Roman Quinn really late, it's like maybe they do end up with 20, 25 steals, but it's going to be in a platoon role. You know, the draw Dysons, those guys aren't even really usable in weekly, weekly leagues. You can't use only when they're starting, you know? That's why the Trey Turners get pushed up so hard. Like Trey Turner, at least according to the bat, I got to look at the steamer ranking. It's a little higher in steamer is like the 30th guy or something. But the thing is, like, he's guaranteed to keep his job and he's going to run. And so you just can't manufacture that out of thin air elsewhere. So it, it yep. is a tough, it, you know, it is a tough thing. The other thing is, um, I don't know if we talked about this in the last pod, but scarcity is a weird thing, right? As, as a commodity gets more scarce, whether it's saves or steals, strikeouts, whatever, um, there's a certain point at which it becomes more valuable. And then if it gets even more scarce than that, it loses value at some point because it's like, well, you know what? It's, it's really like nobody has this commodity and I'm not going to pay through the teeth to get it because I think I could probably get a six or seven in that category, almost ignoring it, you know, just trying to keep one eye on it, but not really pay up for it. 
if it gets that scarce, then of course there's no point in like using high picks on it anymore. So there's a point at which the scarcity makes the guys who do it really valuable. And I think there's a further point at which it goes the other way and you're like, all right, I'm just going to ignore this for the most part. So have you done any leagues yet? I know labor mixed was like, was it last night? What, what, I was, know you weren't in it, but Jeff, Jeff, did yeah, it, Jeff right? did it. Yeah. Um, I haven't done any leagues yet. Uh, I have, I'm going to have two beat Chrysalis drafts, uh, 12 team Rotowire online. I'm actually doing an auction because I got Schuler to run it for me. You know, it's just like League of Leagues. As long as someone's running it for me, like I'm, I'm happy to draft it. And then I think I'm going to drop out of Yahoo Friends and Family. As, as much as I love, love that league, and it's a great league, it's just I, I'm just always like, oh shit, my lineup every day. I'm like, oh, I forgot to set, I forgot to put that guy in, or it's just like, you know, I don't have the greatest uh, cell Wi-Fi. Here. I mean, I've, my Wi-Fi is great, but like my cell service when I'm out of the house, usually lineup lock is late, but during the weekends it's Sometimes I'm out to dinner or whatever. It's just, I just can't, I just can't have that burden every day of my life. I have to worry about my lineup. So um, I don't want to be uncompetitive because I take it seriously and always have side bets, but I may have to drop out of that one. Yeah, no, it's been a long running league, but I, I hear you that daily transaction leagues are, are tough. I mean, they, they really are. They've, they've come up with some technology that lets you put in the starters, or whatever, with the click, but you being out of the country and whatnot, I, I fully understand. It does. That. I mean, it's funny because like on a normal night, like on the weeknights when it starts at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific, it's actually an advantage to be here because it starts at midnight and I'm almost always like, oh, I'm going to get ready for bed. I can set all my lineups, like no problem. You know, that, that's easy. But it's the weekends where they start sort of unpredictably. It's when I'm back in LA where I hate it, where I'm used to doing it at night and then I'm not used to having a routine in LA. I'm like at Heather's mom's house and it's like 4 p.m. middle of the afternoon. You got to lock these things in. Sometimes early in the morning on, on the weekends in LA, it's just I just I just leave stuff on the table and I'm I'm too competitive. Like I, I don't like you know I finished like sixth or seventh. I, I don't like being crappy and I just I can't rearrange my whole life around it. So unfortunately, I think I'm going to leave that one behind. Even though it is one of my it's it's one of my favorite leagues. Yeah, you will you will be missed, and I will be missed taking your money as well. In that. I see you're ducking it. I figured. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think you paid me last year. Together. You paid me last year. Two years ago, you had the miracle win. Two years ago, you proved even a nutless monkey could win that league. But last year, I got money from you. Well, really, I kind of truly did because, in a way, because like the final day of the year, I had like 48 innings of with one total earned run with a bunch of scrubs on the last day of the year that helped yeah. me win. It was like the most miraculous. That was funny, but. uh uh, yeah, you will you will be missed, but um, it's fine. You're ducking me. It's probably the only league we're even in together uh, anymore. So uh, that's that's too bad. You know what I was thinking? I was hearing you guys talking about labor uh, and then versus NFBC. One thing I was thinking is you were you were talking about how labor, if you um, it's okay to be uh, excess in something uh, because it's a trade league. And while yeah. I was thinking, say NFBC, NFBC isn't a trade league, it's fine to be an excess if you're in, as long as you're in one of the overall con- contests, right? So it kind of works either or there. No. Because how so? How how not? How not? If you're well, assuming you're because think about it this way. Think about it this way, um, and it's something I've did some research on a couple of years ago, which is that you know the categories are dispersed like a, a bell curve. Let's say you need 90 saves to be like at 80th percentile, and if you have like 60 saves, you're at 20th percentile. So going to be between, together is what you're between saying. 20 be and 80. All the action is between 60 and 90, right? And so. To get to 80, to get to 90 saves, like you'll pass so many guys moving up from 60 to 90. Those 30 saves will get you 60% of the way through the pool, right? So you'll move from 20th percentile at 60 saves to 
80th percentile at 90 saves. You, you gain so much ground just for getting those 30 more saves. But to go from 80 to 90, you might have to go to like 120. So you may have to get just as many saves to go from 80th percentile to 90th as you did from 20th to 80th. So the outliers at the, at the ends of the bell curve, you know what a bell curve looks like, right? It's like the very tail, yeah. tail end of the bell curve. You, if you have surplus in the category, you're getting a lot of home runs or saves or steals or whatever it is to get very few points. You're passing like, you know, 20 people for your 30 saves or whatever up there. But if you're between, if you're using your saves in the middle, you're, you're get, you know, you're passing 400 people, 300 people for those 30 saves. So if you if you've got too much, I mean, it doesn't hurt to have an excess of anything, and it's fine to be first in something, but you never want to overspend on it because that means you're losing resources. You can't be strong everywhere unless you have a perfect draft. So to the extent that you're expending resources for each round of the draft, and you have enough of something, or you're strong somewhere, you don't really want overkill, basically. Yeah, that that makes total sense how you how you explain that, and it probably and it makes my far out there strategy look even dumber probably. But I I, I actually was going to employ this even in single leagues because I just that's just what I'm going to attempt this year. So, well, well I'll, anyway, I'll say so, one thing uh, about the pitching about the hitting heavy strategy and, and punting pitching, not punting but gambling on pitching, yeah. is that to the extent that one phase of the game is more predictable than the other. That's what you want to invest in. So if we take the extreme example, obviously, and say that pitching was totally random, okay, that pitching still was half of your category points and just as important as hitting to win, but we just, it was just totally unpredictable. There was no way to predict it. Then, of course, you'd want to draft hitting for you know, 20, 21 rounds and pitching with the last nine picks. I mean, obviously, because your last nine picks are as good as somebody who drafted pitchers with his first nine because it's unpredictable. So to the extent, obviously that's not true, but to the extent that it's you know, somewhat true, the extent that it's less predictable than hitting, then you know, it, is, it would be optimal to pay for the thing that we can predict better and to gamble on the thing that's more of a crapshoot. I mean, that's been sort of the traditional philosophy of fantasy baseball, at least until like 2012, when suddenly people in the NFBC started going big on pitching. Yep. Um, yeah, I, no, I, I, yeah, well, that's what I'm doing. So I'm taking it to the extreme and I am, I'm not doing the final nine picks or whatever, but, um, I, um, I am attempting Real to, man does that. yeah, <laughs> I am not going to do that because I, uh, the part of this strategy is, is depth and uh, well, the, the draft champions is actually 50 rounds. That's a totally different aspect to it there because there's no, uh, pickups in the middle of the year. So that, that's a different thing there, but in general, I do like the depth uh, aspect too. So we'll see, man. But I, I told you I was going to do this a couple weeks ago, and I've so far fallen, fallen, followed through with it. A couple of the comments in one league, someone you know asked, made sure I knew that there was another position that needed to be drafted. So, so uh, we'll see how that goes. Well, I, I still think that the best way to do it is pitching is less predictable, but the pitchers at the top are the most predictable of the pitchers. So you, you draft pitching early and heavy, like two real studs, and then you wait a long time. So you're, yeah. you're only paying for the pitching that's the most predictable among the pitchers. And even that may be less predictable than the hitters, but you're getting the best of, you know, the best of the lot. So that, that's sort of the other way to do it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm targeting right there in the middle then. So like the opposite of that, I guess, probably. But um, uh, so no, 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 you're not. You're not. You're not. The, yeah. the worst value. around three to ten is what you're saying, probably. Yeah, three to, three, uh, yeah to not ten. three, yeah. but like four to, you know, five to ten. 
okay. are usually yeah. the worst yeah. values because they're they're expensive enough, but they're still pretty unpredictable. Okay, I'm definitely avoiding that then. Okay. Um, yeah, and the closers. Yeah, so I'm totally with you with the steals, and uh, I, I like the, the aspect in which you're, you are treating closers. But man, it's still tough, and it, because it, how many reliable ones are there? And just after last year was especially the turnover. So that is still another one because in NFBC, because they're pushed up. Man, if you want Diaz or, or one of the top guys, you really, really have to make the plunge early. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with closers. I, you know, obviously, it depends on where everybody falls, but I'm kind of of the possession is nine-tenths of the law mindset, and I think it's really important if you're drafting in February and early March, even late March if they haven't announced, to distinguish between the guy that on all the websites is listed as the closer and the guy that's been officially named the closer by the team because that is not the same thing. Like There are times where we're like, oh, I guess uh, Archie Bradley is the closer, in Arizona, but nobody, uh, and I don't even know because I'm not really up on it yet, but you know, but did anyone Greg actually Holland. say that he's the closer? Yeah. Yeah. And Greg then, Holland. Yeah. Greg. oh, Greg Holland could be or some random person like yeah. that. Or there's some guy who's maybe not that great, but the manager is like, yeah, he's our closer. And you know that he has the job. I think that the guys who have officially gotten the job are better bets than the guys that everybody kind of likes, but you know, it's like two days into the season, somebody else comes out into the ninth inning and you're like, wait a second, what the hell? And then you realize nobody actually said he was the closer. We just all figured he was the most likely closer. You got to put somebody under that closer tab in the field, in the admin area on all these websites. You type in the, you know, yeah. you, you guess. And then everybody just looks at the website and just assumes that's the same thing. It's not the same thing. Um, definitely not. And that, that is a lot changes for sure. And speaking of those mid middle round uh, starters, I was just you weren't you what you were talking about David Price and Madison Bumgarner on the XM show and all their questions. That's about, like it's exactly just shit I don't have to worry about. You know, like look at the wide range of outcomes those those could have, and there's so many different. I mean that though, though that middle tier, there's so many, and there's there's just ah, I'm telling you, it's nice to not have to worry about that group of starting pitchers. I, 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 I don't know how this strategy is going to work, but before I employed it, I was like, I have no clue it, how ugly it's going to look. Uh, I will say just so far, it's like I'm, I'm fine with it at least after execution. So I'm going to continue it. So I, I enjoy not having to worry about a huge group of pitchers that, frankly, it, it's, it's just so – the highlighted the David Price and Madison Bumgarner, a million different questions with guys like that. Yeah, I like both those guys kind of, but – yeah, I hear you. I mean, those those are the guys every year. There's always those. I, you know, last year a couple of them panned out big, like Trevor Bauer and Blake Snell were in that middle tier. I mean, some of them did. Luis Castillo was one that did not. But there were guys like that in that middle tier that panned out big last year, and and usually one will. Usually it's not two who pan out that big. Good luck figuring out which one it is. You know, that's that's the real that's the thing. And you could just get a hitter now. Of course. People took Buxton in round four and five last year. Know, People took Miguel Sano. Like, they took, there were just a lot of guys in the, you know, the hitters bust also. It's not like anybody's rock solid. What about Kershaw? I was talking about Kershaw today. And at first I was like, third round, no way. Like, I just, his velocity's way down. He, you know, he's obviously been injured all the time. And, you know, he's past 30 and it's just, everything's trending in the wrong direction. But then I just thought about it and I was like, you know, he had a 273 ERA and a 104 whip last year. He still had 155 strikeouts and only 29 walks. That was throwing 90.9, which is by far the lowest velocity of his career. 
And maybe he goes the Felix Hernandez route and goes down to 90 or Lincecum route where it just gets worse and worse. But what if for some reason he's like, all right, yeah, that thing kind of plagued me for two years, but I'm finally healthy. And his velocity is 91.7, not 90.9. So it's in between. And last year he already, you know, was an ace when he pitched. Like what, <laughs> you know, I was like, I better have some shares just in case of Kershaw. Yeah, I have him number 12 on my starting pitcher ranks. And um, obviously, I love Kershaw. I've had him ranked number one on my board two, three times in the past. Uh, he's just, that's just someone I'm just, again, not going to have to worry about. I can guarantee you one thing about Kershaw. He won't end up on any of my teams with this, with this strategy. But yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what, I, it feels to me like he's going where he should be in the two drafts that I've, I've been in based on you know, floor versus upside. Yeah, I think that's right. I think he's going about right. My initial instinct was he's too high. You know, give me the Trevor Bowers over him and stuff. But the more I thought about it, I was like, I'll just have a share or two, just in case. Yeah, I mean, the NL West, too, in that team. I mean, he could win. Yeah, God, if he's healthy, he could win 20 games, too. So, yeah. So, so the other crazy player is Chris Sale, who both the bat, Cardi's projection system, and Steamer love. They have Sale being so dominant that I think in Cardi's system, when I did the numbers, uh, he was only behind Trout. He was the number two overall player. And Steamer, he was easily the number one overall player ahead of Trout. And of course, in the NFBC, he's like 15 or 13 or something. I think he'll creep up to 10 by the time March rolls around. But, you know, he, he was so dominant last year. He was, you know, best pitch, probably the best fantasy player in the game. And then he got hurt. And his velocity was down in the playoffs. He had that, like, disgusting belly button infection from his piercing or something, I think, yeah. during the playoffs. So he got like sick. I think the piercing right? was, it turned out to be a joke. The piercing turned out to him being a smart-ass joke, I believe. Oh, that was a joke? It, oh, I, yeah. I thought yeah, that was he, real. He, I think he was messing with some reports. Oh, I thought that was real. I was like, that's disgusting, because I could totally see something like that happening. But anyway... No, I um, thought it was real at the time, too, but I was, sadly, I found out later. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that's crazy. actually good. I, I, I got to move him up a, a spot on my board yeah. now. What do you do with him? Because I feel like you know, once Trout and Betts are off the board, you know, they, they like Sale better than Scherzer, both projection systems, just because Scherzer's 35, but Scherzer's so good. But, you know, let's say you're picking seventh or something, and Scherzer goes, and those two guys are off the board, and I'm thinking of taking Sale around seven. I mean, he's got the, he's, it, he's 1.1 if he stays healthy. I mean, he's got the most value if he pitches 200 innings that, of any player in relative to everybody else who's pitching, you know, 180 innings, 170 innings, these six-man rotations, all this stuff that's going on. Yeah, I know. One thing to be clear, even though I'm using this strategy, I would far prefer a fully healthier B starter than I would any position player. I mean, without question, if you told me sales throwing 220 innings, I'd, I'd way rather him than if you're telling me bets, just, you know, getting 600 at bats. Um, of course. Total can you imagine what he... Can you imagine what he would do in the NL? I mean, he's doing this pitching in the White Sox in Boston parks his whole career. It's I know, crazy. I, know. Um, I don't know. Keith Law was always skeptical skeptical of his throwing motion, and now it's a shoulder. I mean, that's pretty worrisome. So, uh, I mean, come on, uh, again, anyone I, who's I skeptical of his throwing team, motion, anyone who's skeptical well, was a long of his throwing motion, he's proven that wrong. I mean, obviously now if he gets anyone who's skeptical of his throwing motion has to take the the biggest L ever, and then you know this sure, is. Sure. His motion's fine. It's just he yeah. had some shoulder tightness. Him. Okay, where in there was no structural exactly. issues. He's healthy now. Take him, take him. I could be talking. To, I mean, if I, I'd be 
past me would have been talking taking him number one. I mean, yes, absolutely the upside of number one. I, I have him ranked number three on my starting pitcher board just behind, obviously, Scherzer and DeGrom. But it's just because of the injury risk. But maybe he doesn't even have any more of one. If he's fine now, certainly you can't argue the underlying stats or whatever. And I'm sure he's projected to, to, to be, what, him or Scherzer to lead the league in, in strikeouts? Yeah, I think they have uh, him ahead of Scherzer, or one of them does. But... Yeah, he has a way better ERA on the bat than Scherzer does. It's like Scherzer's like three something, and Degrom. I mean, and uh, sales like two seventy. Yeah, I I wouldn't argue that. And um, yeah, take him then, list. Well, I don't know. I'm just thinking Do about it. it. But you Do know, it. the market. I, when I do the weighted averages, I, I figured out how to average the list, but now I got to figure out how to do a weighted average. I'm going to weigh it more toward NFBC. Because I think you know the algorithms have some information that the NFBC drafters are missing. There's some bias there where you know they're assuming Scherzer's not a risk because he's so good, even though he's 35. They assume you know certain things based on recency bias that are you know that the the algorithms don't they're not biased. But but there's also a lot of information in the market number, which is that sale was hurt you know this it could be a kershaw all over again we're like oh, he's healthy now yes so what he had a minor thing he's been so durable for so long and then this minor thing the back in kershaw's case or the shoulder and sales case just it's nothing structural but it's a muscle and it just starts to you know after a couple of months he feels it again it loses velocity not the same guy he has to be shelled for a month i mean that's that's what you worry about is that it's you know that this thing that happened it's fine now but once he gets put under stress again you know, it, it, it's become a weak spot for him. I feel like batting average might be the one category that's still slightly undervalued based on the huge sample of two drafts in which I've been in so far. Um, so Bryce Harper to my Giants, huh? What do you think? That seems like a just a perfect fit, right, for the rebuilding Giants? Yeah, I don't know. I, I It's funny because I don't know if we talked about this on this podcast because I do so many, you know, I have the Jeff one, the Talking Yang, and then we have the XM show every day, but... Um, I think there's like a real chance that Harper doesn't sign before the season starts because Boris is his agent. And if he'll take like a one year 40, you know, fine, he'll get He'll get a job somewhere. But he's like, no, I, I need an eight year deal minimum average of 35, 40 a year more uh, because I'm a superstar in my prime. And this is ridiculous. I mean, you've got all these guys with their spreadsheets sitting around and saying, well, you know, his defense isn't good. And the shift is eaten into his batting average and, you know, he's had some injuries in the past, and I don't know, you know, this is uh, this is a, a too big of a gamble, these long-term contracts, and, you know, it, it used to be like you'd have the George Steinbrenner owner who'd just be like, who cares? Like, let's make a splash. Let's put some fannies in the seats. Let's let's sign the marquee name. Let's, you know, we're, show our fans that we're going to, you know, let's make the big publicity signing. And now, like, those owners are fewer and f- further between. There's a luxury tax also, which is kind of like a salary cap, but... First of all, you have a bunch of teams just flat out tanking to get higher draft picks. So they're out of the running on free agents that, you know, they used to be more in the running. So that's like, you know, a third of the teams or a quarter of the teams. And then you've got like the really rich teams that are up against the luxury threshold and they don't want to break that. So that takes out a bunch of teams. And then you've just got, you know, the, the spreadsheet guys, the analytics guys that are like, no, you know, we, we need to make a profit on this. And remember, when, you, when you're drafting a fantasy team, you make your profit on the $1 guys and the $5 guys. You don't really make a profit on Mike Trout. You could if he has a career year, but when you spend 40 on Mike Trout, you're hoping to get 38 to 42. You don't really care if he gets 35, 38. You're fine. You got your money's worth roughly for Trout, and you needed to spend all your money. So you got that money off, you know, you didn't leave any money on the table, and you got enough for it. 
and then you make your profits on the cheap guys. And that's exactly what baseball's like, right? You, you, the Juan Sotos are where you make, where the teams get all their profits from. They spend nothing on those guys and their monsters. They, and the veterans, if they just do more or less, you know, earn the war that they're supposed to earn, that's, that's a huge win for them. But I wonder if the guys with the spreadsheets are paying, you know, they're like, if they're like, well, Bryce Harper isn't going to, you know, at this no, at this salary that he wants, he has to average, you know, six war a year or something for eight years. And they're like, we have him projected for 4.2 war a year, including defense. And that's a loss. You know, I mean, you could see teams just thinking that way and they just don't care. And then you could see Boris being like, no, we're not taking under market when the market for, you know, win is X. And there could just be an impasse, and I could see it being like Le'Veon Bell in a way where it's like, you know, neither side budges. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When you're looking for a credit card, get one that wins awards. The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best of Awards winner for Best 0% Intro APR and Balance Transfer Credit Card. It provides a great way to pay for large purchases over time, as well as consolidating other card balances. And speaking of award winners, the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best Credit Card for Dining Out or Ordering In. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. Get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. If you're into cash back or travel rewards, U.S. Bank has credit cards that feature those benefits, too. Check out their full suite of credit cards at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from VCUSA, Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Yeah, well, the Giants do have a new stat head GM, as you're saying, and they want just a short-term deal, which obviously makes no sense for Harper or, wow. or even – I guess I think it makes are, sense for Harper. I, I think Harper – if deal, I'm Harper, yeah. I say I'll do one year 50 mil. How about that? Because, you know, that way when I have a 1,100 OPS – in you know AT&T Park whatever the hell it's called now and yeah that's yeah and i've got my 50 mil first of all i don't need long term security cuz 50 mil is plenty for long term security it's not like it's not like 20 years ago where you're making a mil a year and you're like okay i got to do the 15 million dollar deal to get my long term security and just lock that up you can get that in one year i mean there's no worry about that whether you have 50 or 300 you're set and then you can actually earn way more over your career if you do short-term deals. And the teams like it, too, because it's way easier to plan and way easier to know what they're getting. Picking the park and, more importantly, climate, uh, that is by far the hardest on left-handed power of the past 30 years. Here's your, uh, your, your reminder that Barry Bonds is the greatest hitter of all time. Uh, what might not be the greatest decision before trying to sign a 10-year deal, but uh, I do hear you. And as for Maybe this is just wishful thinking as a Giants fan who actually does want him the more I thought about it. Just because I understand the downside stuff, but but whatever. They can just spend money, and the attendance has been down. And there are some people who say his defensive numbers last year had to do with him not clearly not diving for balls, knowing he has a big contract. And right, right field short there anyway, there in, in Oracle Park. I mean, even for defense. And uh, he, this is a guy who had a 9.3 war at age 22. So I have to admit, I went from, I'm not sure if I want this long-term investment to, oh, Bryce Harper rumor to the Giants, I'm fucking pumped. Like, I, I totally, I mean, guy, I look, 9.3 war at age 22. I mean, and it's, uh, speaking of power, if there's any place for right field, you know, where he can, that's not going to matter as much, triples alley, to dude with 80 power, like Harper. Right. The Yankees should just sign him, put him at first base. I mean, 
<laughs> oh, God. It's becoming just Yankees versus Red Sox. I mean, throwing yeah. a little asterisk. It's a joke. It's just all top-heavy. It's, it's kind of It's kind really of tough. I mean, the teams that make the playoffs, like the Astros, the Dodgers, the Indians, before they decided to just punt for no reason, Indians, Yankees, Red Sox, the Nationals before Harper left, like those were loaded teams. But it was kind of cool. Like it was kind of stupid during the year, but the playoffs were like, okay, here we are. It's like the NBA, you know, all these super teams. And it, it, it's more exciting in the playoffs when all these teams are that loaded because you're like, how can any of these teams lose? Yeah, I know. At least the NL is a little more wide open looks this year, but it's, I don't know. And all these big free agents unsigned right now, I'm beginning to think there actually might be a problem. Yeah, I mean, in my view, what they did was that, you know, when they did the collective bargaining agreement that built on the prior agreements, they basically screwed over the young players because they're, you know, and this is what they've always done, but it's like, okay, you got three years of team control and then three years of arbitration. So there's really six years of team control and they can pull that Vlad Guerrero bullshit where he's clearly a major league hitter and they you know, leave him down for save on service time and save the money. And then, you know, finally, you know, after six years, you're a free agent. And the players are just like, okay, the veterans who are basically, you know, in charge of the union are basically like, yeah, you know, that, that works for us. Fine. You know, we'll get paid more because a lot, because the young guys won't get paid market value. But they're just such idiots because basically once the analytics kicked in and, and the teams got smart about spending, they realized, oh, wait a second, these young guys are such a good value. Why are we wasting money on these, you know, not great, just the good but not great older guys? So by screwing the younger guys into this, you know, team control nonsense, they screwed themselves. They made those young guys such a good deal. They ripped off their own people instead of really fighting the owners and being like, you know, we need X percent of the revenue regardless and spread it around based on quality of play and not service time. They basically decided that you get your big free agent contract when you get through the six years. They went with that system. And now that the young guys got screwed, the young guys now are pricing them out of their own jobs. Yeah, real quick, one first it's exciting rumor time in the Bay Area with Antonio Brown, maybe to the Niners. Jake Glazer even predicting that Odell Beckham might get traded. I know you hate to hear that, and he's been rumored to the Niners as well. But circling back, what I don't know if I've heard your opinion of MLB um, and the owner situation and Kyler Murray. What is your Kyler Murray thoughts? I know I obviously don't follow him as a player, but just in general. Oh, just, I mean, obviously you got to take the NFL. It's really hard to make oh, it in obvious. the big leagues. Oh, okay. Oh, you know, that's right. so I that's, mean, that's not even a thought process. That's not well, that's I mean, no if, brainer. if someone said to me, do you want to be a star major league player or a star NFL player? I'd say baseball, of course, because guaranteed contracts, long career, not permanent brain damage when I'm done. Of course, right. I want to, want to play yeah, baseball. Like that's third on your list. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obvious. But if you say, do I want to be a first round draft pick quarterback in the NFL or a first round pick position player in baseball? I'd say NFL for sure because the first round quarterback is almost certainly going to play and get paid a decent amount and possibly for you know a while, whereas the first round pick will get a signing bonus, but he has like no guarantee that he's going to make it and do well every year in the minors and make it to the pros as a good player. Like it's it's way less likely. You're way less of a sure thing, I think, in in the minor leagues, just being a high amateur draft pick. Yeah, I guess you're also not necessarily writing off baseball if you, you know, you prove to be too small in the NFL, clearly a year or two down the road. You know, I mean, you probably could go try baseball out, whereas vice versa, that'd be far harder. Yeah, that's true. But it's tough either way because you miss that development time where it's like now you're a lot older and you didn't play, you know, you, you just 
are out of practice, it'd be, it'd be tough. All right, you got anything, you got anything else, uh, baseball or otherwise? Uh, yeah, I, I have this idea, you know, so, so I'm not that sympathetic to the, to the free agents. I know a lot of people think it's terrible because everyone hates the owners and I hate the owners too, but, and I'm like, no, you guys, you know, as I said, they, they kind of screwed over the young players over, over the years. They basically said the young players, yeah, we'll keep them under team control. And because of that, they've screwed themselves. They basically priced themselves out of their own jobs. And so I'm less sympathetic. And also, you know, you're only worth what the market bears. You know, it's not like, I mean, if there was some collusion by the owners, it'd be one thing, but it's like, they're just like, no, nah, this dude is just not worth what he's asking. They, they could all get jobs if they lowered their asking price. Obviously these free agents, it's just, they, they're going with what they think they're worth. I think the owners should give more of the profits and that was a bad deal they negotiated, but the owners aren't going to just do it out of the goodness of their hearts. The owners are assholes, you know? So, you know, the, these guys should have, the, the collective bargaining is where, you know, they, they really should have laid down a lot. Now it's hard for the players because um, they have short careers. So if they bargain too hard and the owners, you know, lock them out, then, you know, their careers are, are, are going and the owners can just sit tight. I mean, the owners are losing money too, but it's harder on the player. They don't have the resources, but I was thinking, and, I don't know if I mentioned this, but at this point, like, why do we really need owners? I mean, the players have enough money collectively, you know, I mean, they're all rich now, right? They all have, most of them are, they're all millionaires. Some of them are, you know, most of them have tens of millions. Some of them even have hundreds of millions, the richest ones. Like, why don't they just hire like some, a, a bunch of Silicon Valley people or whatever to build, you know, you build out the schedule, you build out the, you, know, you have AI that does the, the drafts. You have new logos, new teams. I know there's some brand loyalty to the Cubs or the Cardinals or the Reds or the Giants or whatever. But, I mean, if all the players were just like, you know, we're starting our own league. We've got our dorks that we pay $100,000 a year or whatever we pay them. You know, they, they're the owners, but they hire people to, like, do the scheduling, do the marketing, book the venues. You know, I mean, what, what really, what is owning a team? It's like hiring a bunch of, you know, beer salesmen and renting out a stadium and i mean marketing and someone's got to do the tv deals but who do you think nbc is going to pay the money to the league with a bunch of owners or the league with all the good players you know i mean yeah i mean yeah i mean why do we need the owners what do they really own they own a brand they own they own the the logos and the name of the team right a lot of the stadiums they don't own they're just like public stadiums that the team plays at or rents or leases i mean why why are the players not just driving the bargain they want if they don't get it, having a plan B? I mean, they should all be putting a million dollars in each right now just to have this thing up and running and ready. If the owners, don't, you know, just using it as a leverage chip, it's not even that much money. I mean, to, to build this thing, I mean, how hard is this to build this thing? Just build the organization. There'd be some hiccups and it would, you know, wouldn't be as big as the Major League Baseball right away. But I mean, who do you think has the real leverage? They're the product, it's the players. It's not a bunch of 70 year old. You know, billionaires who well, own a logo and a right. Yeah, that's an establishment that's just going to be tough to change. But quite clearly, obviously, that's well. I mean, come on. I mean, true. think about all the disruption that's happened. I mean, newspapers. I mean, all these newspapers—they controlled the flow of information. They were the dominant force in news and in you know presidential elections and and now social media. Just like newspapers, nobody gives a shit right. about most newspapers now. It got totally disrupted. Those are incredibly powerful invaluable properties for a long time. And now they're basically, you know, on the edge of bankruptcy, most of them. And, you know, you look at, you know, the taxi companies, they're, they're in trouble. Uber just disrupted them. Like, why don't we just, just disrupt professional sports ownership? I don't, I don't get why 
it would be that hard. It's just a bunch of logos. I mean, I root for the Giants, but if all the players on the Giants reassembled under a new team called whatever, you know, just some new team with a new logo, I mean. Yeah, it's some of them are racist. The, the, the owner refuses to change, too, mind you, while you're on the topic. But what, isn't there an impending lockout or something in, 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 in NFL or upcoming in MLB, too, or something? There's some well, negotiation coming up in well, a year well, or two, right? Yeah, in 2021, baseball has to redo it, and and the thing is, like the you know the NFL too, or no? I thought I thought NFL in a couple. Years probably too, they have some up. something going okay. to you know a lot of it's like the revenue split, but like they're like oh the owners risked their capital, they spent two billion on this team, and now you know, but it's like you just spent two two billion on a, a name brand, and what you know again like the, I, I suppose you could just like run the NFL when all the players start their own league and see who wins. And maybe the NFL would win because they've got all their professional marketing and logos and lifelong fan bases. And but man, imagine if the NFL just came with a new crop of college players that were like you know a cut below or I don't know. It would be risky because if the players did that and only a quarter of them went, like those quarter would be really hung out to dry. But they'd have to have solidarity. But honestly, if they all did it together, they should at least like have like the the blueprint it's like it's not that much work to just have you know you just copy the schedule the venues the cities it's i mean it's it's a lot of work but it's not like a bunch of dudes who are smart and hungry could easily run that business it's not like a complex business yeah what's the aaf i mean didn't that just start last weekend yeah but that's like a a feeder to the nfl i think you know and a a gambling vehicle and you know sort of I, i don't think that's that's not real competition for the NFL, I don't think. Not, not, not what you're looking for. Yeah, I'd love to see it. No owners would be, uh, I'm all for it. Um, especially with these uh, uh, season ticket dues coming up in a, in a couple days for the 49ers. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you think, uh, their outlook? Jimmy G, think things are going to be better next year, list? Should they cut that check? Yeah, they should be good. I mean, you can keep watching. I mean, I just, I'm just saying, I just think the players should just, instead of bitching about it, just bargain hard and have a plan B, get ready to bail and build their own thing. What, what do we need the owners for? Yeah, I hear you. What do the owners contribute? Like, what usefulness do they provide? I have no clue. I mean, yeah, and all of them just made so much money, too, by getting in when they did, too. Like, ten times the amount in the last five years of right. these franchises. But it's the absurd. franchises are only worth so much because everybody just goes along with it. It's just like, you know... MySpace sold for $950 million, and then it was worth, like, in the billions... And then Facebook just disrupted that. You know, it's like, oh, well, why did it change? Well, because it's what people paid attention to. It's what people liked. If, if you, you know, the only reason the owners have any value to those franchises is because everybody's like, yeah, this is my team. It has the best players. It has the, you know, but the players leave. That's it. All right. I hear you. You want to talk some politics now? Yeah. I got, I got another, I got another idea also. I got a bunch of ideas. Okay. Second idea. So we mentioned this a couple years ago. There's an article I read, and this guy said, you know, you'd think the the argument was that we perceive reality because if you didn't perceive reality, you'd get hit by a car when you cross the street. The fact that you can avoid a car while crossing the street shows that you must be seeing the reality because, do you see what I'm saying? Like, survival depends on seeing reality is sort of the argument. And his point was, no, that's not true at all. You just see what you need to see to survive. You just interpret reality in a certain way for your survival. And in fact, it's, it would actually be very suboptimal to see the actual reality out there. 
be, if it didn't contribute, if seeing the truth didn't contribute to your survival. Do you understand what I'm saying? That you, you, whatever the reality is of a car, you, you represent that to yourself as car and you know to get out of the way of it. It's not necessary for you to see what that really is, right? The atoms oh, and molecules. I, I agree with that outlook too. I like that outlook. I fully, yes, yes. You, that you, you don't that. see reality. You see a rendition of reality that allows you to survive basically. Yeah, because you have no clue what reality is. Yes. Right. That's so we don't really know, right? We just know what enables us to function, basically. Yeah. And so that was his point. I'm and on board. I, I wish I remembered the, the article, but it was a fascinating article. And I started thinking so, like, we always do these things in reality. Like, oh, I'm going to start doing push ups every day to get stronger. Or I'll, I'll eat a certain way or I'll, I'll network more. I, mean, I wouldn't do this, but I'm going to network more at these conferences and build my career. You know, we, we're always trying to instrumentally think how to act and be to get something that we want. So I, I have, I have done started the pushups thing, but I was really bad at networking at the FSTA, but carry okay, on. Good. All right. I have more real man doesn't network. Okay. That's, that's only a nutless monkey network. So do the push. Real man does pushups. So, and, and even uh, some people I said, said, you look kind of skinny. Some people I, I know from there said Dalton's looking kind of skinny. So don't uh, come back next time and punch those dudes in the face is what I would say. So anyway, I, I am skinny. Uh, I am skinny. I know, but you got to get, you're going to, you can't walk through life being skinny. You got to put on some muscle. But that's that, that being said, I'm undermining my own point by saying that to you. <laughs> my, po- my, my point is that it's kind of like, you know, the way I look at it, it's like a browser, right? Like your browser allows you to interact, read what you want to read, send tweets, do whatever you want. You're not like seeing the code of the HTML of the pages and let alone like the computer language, like below that even, right? Like, you're just interacting with like the thing that you, it's just like that, right? You're interacting with the thing that you can understand and that you can get your stuff done on. You're not interacting with the reality of the computer really, right? It's just the browser is exactly sort of how we're like set things up. You know, and it's the same thing with the video game, right? You play the video game with the controls, but you're not, you don't see the code behind the video game. But it's kind of weird that you go through the video game like phase by phase or you go through the, the computer like, trying to figure out the bug by like typing in different things and ch- checking settings and stuff. Whereas if you knew how to program the thing, you might be able to just like fix it right away. Right. Or if you might, if you knew the code of the video game, you might just be able to cheat and give yourself like, you know, whatever. I, I don't play any video games, but like a million lives or a million gold pieces or whatever the hell you need in those video games. You go through the interface, like it's reality because it's all, you know, and then you try to scheme in this sort of fake reality of ways to advance yourself or get what you want. But if you actually had a glimpse into the reality, it might not be ideal like full time, but it might allow you to cheat and cut, you know, cut ahead quite a bit. Right. But yeah, would you, would you truly want that though? Well, what I'm saying is it's like, let's say you're like, okay, I don't feel good about myself. So I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, buy some new clothes, do some pushups, whatever. And really what you're after is like dopamine or you're after serotonin, a feeling of peace or whatever. And you were just like, oh, well, instead of doing all that external stuff, you know, like typing in the browser, I can actually just go in and like reprogram my brain, like to just have that without that. Like, why am I not getting to the heart of the matter? Why am I living still like at the surface? Why am I still trying to do things as though this were real, even though I know this is just provisional and I'm acting like this provisional reality is real in all these quests I have to get things when I can just go into the actual code itself right into my brain and just fix it. And I don't mean like chemicals. I mean like figure out like what is, you know, what is it that I'm truly missing? Like what is the, what is the essence of the situation? Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, like almost it. like working out without having to physically feel the the working out there in one, yeah, in one or, aspect. But yeah, or just like being like an enlightened person rather than worrying about like I, I mean, obviously that's the conclusion, you know, that one would internally fix the deficit rather than trying to construct that, an entire That's the ultimate you know, goal. Yes, list. Tell us how to how to reach that, please. Well, no, but I'm saying like well, I just think like yeah, that's I mean, it's like realizing like oh, all these methods that we're trying to do are itself the problem. Like what is the actual issue? Yeah. <laughs> what what is the reality, you know, beneath that? Anyway, it just occurred to me as a as an idea. I like it. Very deep. Well, what else? So we can talk politics if you want. I just uh, I've got like a million things. I've just been writing stuff down. Because I, I wrote those medium posts and I may be uh, posting more stuff, but we don't have time for all of them. It's already almost an hour, so we can hit some politics. So I'll, I'll, I'll save some. I got a lot of these crazy ideas. That's uh, those are coming. Just so you know, it's baseball season, so we don't have all these uh, picks to do. There's going to be some definitely um, some some ideas, half and fully sure. baked. Some of them are half nice. baked. Some of them are totally baked. All right, are we saving? So we're saving the rest for for next week. Yeah, yeah, I've got like ten. I mean, I we don't have time for them. Oh, all right, cool. Yeah, okay. So those. Uh, yeah, politics. You have anything? Um, only thing I really have is I was listening to the Ro- Sam Harris on the Rogan Pod, and he was talking about your candidate Gabbard and saying he'd I'd be very circumspect about endorsing her and to do a little homework. And her candidacy is not going to age well. So I just thought of you and I wrote that down. And then obviously the Ralph North and stuff. So. You have any thoughts on any on any of that or anything else you'd like to add, Chris? Lynch. I I haven't really listened to Sam Harris much because I've the people I respect think he's a total charlatan and a tool. So I I, I can't say that I think that because I just haven't really read his stuff at all. I mean, he seems douchey to me, but sort of some of the guys that I respect, like Greenwald or Nassim Taleb, they think he's like a a tool. I think I don't know. If it's, it's, okay. I, I know Greenwald does. I don't know. If, I th- thought he said he was, and then. Um, I, I heard one he podcast between him and well, Scott right? Adams where Scott Adams just totally destroyed him. I, I think Sam, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not interested in Sam Harris, put it that way. I know a lot of people are, yeah. and maybe people who listen fair to this podcast. Fair response. I know a lot of people like him. Uh, but yeah, no, yeah, he did come across a little bit blowhardy. Okay, fair response. Okay. I, I, I just don't, I don't respect him. Like I, so I, I mean, I don't, haven't looked into his stuff, but like reputationally, I don't respect him and the things I've heard. So I haven't had the, I haven't had the inclination to dive deeper. So like saying like, well, he thinks this, what do you think? I'm like, uh, I just don't respect that dude. So I, I can't really, it's not a, not somebody, you know, if, we, if you said like Greenwald or someone else that I respect said something, I'd probably like have to see, Oh, what, why does he think that? You know, the, the big thing though, is that, you know, that news has kind of come out that there's no collusion between Trump and the Russians that's come out. They have no evidence of collusion, no direct evidence of it. And, you know, that's like two years, right? Remember all the odds, like he's going to get impeached. He's not going to make it through the presidency. His collusion with the Russians. The walls are closing in. The bombshell dropped that this and that. Cohen's going to testify. Manafort's going to testify. They've got him. Should there be like a, like a, a, shouldn't this be like a major, major revelation where it's like, MSNBC like issues like a huge apology to the American people for like putting this thing on and all the people who were tweeting about this stuff endlessly. I mean, this is a, it's crazy. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Trump supporter, but I was happy to hear it because I didn't know for sure that there was no collusion. If there were collusion, I would have been surprised, but 
it's not like I think Trump is above it necessarily. I just didn't think it was likely that it happened. It seemed the motives for investigating right. it and talking about it nonstop was because the wrong person won the election and they're embarrassed by it. And they, so they had to come up with some total bullshit thing and just throw everything to the wall and see what stuck. But that was my take. Uh, but I was glad to see that it, that it wasn't true because part of the reason that was my take is for who I follow on Twitter and who I don't follow, who I don't respect, who I don't trust, who I think is full of shit. And it's always good when you're realizing that you followed and trusted the right people. <laughs> like, that, like your take, which is partially informed. I mean, obviously I'm thinking for myself, but I'm also, you know, looking to the sources of the facts from other people and people who seem to be more rational about things seem to have gotten it right. And I have to say, that's, uh, that's always a good feeling. You know, I've, I have opinions about the markets, about Bitcoin, about lots of different things. And, you know, my future prosperity to some extent is connected to how good of a judge I am of what's real and what's fake. Going back to that theme, you know, what's at least provisionally real and what's, you know, what, what is, you know, the right way to, the, 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 how I'm managing the flow of information into my mind. And it's always good to be rewarded. It's the same reason why you like to win a, a big bet or win a fantasy league or be right about a player to some extent, right? I mean, you're, you're validating your, your notions about the world. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to hear much about that uh, at all, it's, uh, an apology or anything from no. the other side. No, hell no. I mean. <laughs> hell no. You don't, you don't think like MSNBC or like Rachel Maddow is going to get on and say, you know what, I was pushing this conspiracy for so long and wow, I'm, I'm just the Glenn Beck of the left now. Not even the left, like the center, but I'm just the Glenn Beck. Just as crazy as, as that guy. Wow, so crazy. You know, I can't believe it. No way. But it's big. I mean, there's a lot of people that were like living for that investigation. They were like, this is, this is going to vindicate everything. <laughs> and like, nary a peep. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's a dud. I mean, that's momentous. I mean, say what you want about the guy. It was the president of the United States. And they were acting like the guy was like actively. I mean, that is a crazy accusation. And then for all that stuff to just fall through. You know, they're going to hang on to like, yeah, but he's corrupt and some of these people are shady and they are, and he probably is. But still, I mean, that's not what they were, that's not what the thing was about. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, sad. <laughs> um, all right, Liz, is that all you got? We got, we went an hour this week. So, um, good stuff for a non, non football. I mean, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have more baseball too, as we start doing some of these drafts and we'll make some bets on the, uh, We'll be in some similar NFBC that we can, you know, apples to apples, make some bets. Oh yeah, maybe I should. Maybe I'll try to join one of your Chris list, beat Chris list. Yeah, do that. Just because it's yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Tell me, give me a heads up before, and I will sign up. Okay. Okay. I'll do that. All right. Well, if you enjoy this podcast, you can rate it on iTunes. You can also sign up for RotoWire free ten day trial, rotowire.com slash pod, and you can troll Dalton at Dalton Del Don on Twitter. All right, man. Talk to you next week. All right, later, Liz.